As we look to the ministry of God's Word this morning, let's turn first in our Bibles, the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes 7, verses 1 through 14, and then we will look again at the Beatitudes, Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10. Let's hear God's word, Ecclesiastes 7. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the songs of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage for those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like protection of money. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God, who can make straight what he has made crooked. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And Matthew 5, verses 3 through 10. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the, peace, are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This ends the reading of God's word this morning. Let's bow in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the blessing of your word, how precious it is. We have sinned, but you have not been silent. And even where you have spoken in anger, our Father, we thank you, you have spoken Where you have spoken in encouragement, we thank you, you have spoken. Where you have called out to us the blessing of salvation through Jesus Christ, we thank you, our Father, you have spoken. 
but above all that you have sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins and to open our ears and our eyes that we might hear that word and be blessed by that word. Bless this reading now to our hearing and bless the ministry of your word to our hearts as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you memorized the Beatitudes this week? Okay. Uh, Do it. (laughs) I know I'm not going to be back next week to to ask that again. Uh, But um, a powerful passage. And a great passage to keep in mind because it sums up the Christian life. I mentioned it last week, and I'll run it past again, and that's Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his commentary on the Beatitudes. The first thing he says is that all Christians are to be like this, not just super-Christians. All Christians are to be like every one of the Beatitudes. And he says, all Christians, secondly, all Christians are meant to manifest all these characteristics. These are not characteristics that are just set on their own. We'll see a little bit more of that this morning. The third thing he says is that none of these descriptions refer to something we call natural. These aren't natural tendencies, not for the natural man, the sinner. It's not something the sinner finds out. By on his own. It's something that God, by his spirit, opens our hearts to find. And these descriptions, in the fourth place, indicate the clear, essential difference between the Christian and the non-Christian. You want to know what a Christian is? Look at the Beatitudes. That's why it's good to memorize them. Keep them in mind. That's why we come back to church every week, is it not? Oh, I hear so much of the same thing every week. It's a different part of the Bible, but we always get back to Christ. Yes. There isn't a day of the week we shouldn't come back to Christ. We shouldn't begin with Christ. Christ is everything to us now. But we come to the second one. Last week we looked at, blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of God. Today we come to, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. These two go together. Blessed are those who mourn. That's not something we think of, do we? Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones said just the right thing there. This is not something we expect for happiness. The happiness we are looking for here is a happiness that has to do with really happy. I went over that last week as well, that there are two different words for for, for blessed in the Bible. And uh, you find them in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and they have the same directions. One of them is, well, like our word for eulogy at a funeral, words that are spoken to nicely about a person, well-spoken words of the person. That's one kind of beatitude. That's one kind of blessing. 
But the blessing here is not just well-spoken words telling us how good we are. These are words that say, happy are you, happy, meaning happy. To be congratulated, someone said. To be fulfilled, to be spiritually prospering, to be emotionally happy, to be divinely happy, Sinclair Ferguson says. It's a blessing of the covenant that we are covenant people belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. No one else in this world can have that kind of happiness who does not know Jesus Christ. And the poor in spirit are those who find themselves, in and of themselves, spiritually impoverished. Almost like that valley of dry bones in Ezekiel that he brings to life. The chapter just before it where he says, I will take out of you a heart of stone and put into you a heart of living flesh. We might be alive. That we might be able to hear. Stones don't hear. And who does a heart transplant? We can't do the heart transplant by ourselves. I keep coming back to that passage and I said, no, there is no do-it-yourself heart transplant. There is no such thing. It's God who gives us the new heart. Blessed are those who mourn. Happy are those who mourn. That just doesn't sit right, does it, in our, in our minds, at least not when we think the way the world thinks. It was Martin Luther who found the blessing of that in, when he wrote out his 95 theses. And uh, all you had to do was pay the money, Say so many prayers, you're, you have your indulgence, and you're, you're free, you're free. You're not under any burden anymore. And Martin Luther says something that the church has been listening to, the Reformed faith has been listening to since. That first one, he says, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, ponentium agite, willed that the whole of life of the believer should be repentance. The whole of life of the believer should be repentance. In Sunday school, I'm going to talk more about the same person, but uh, this individual, he was a minister. He's with the Lord now. But he was in the hospital for heart surgery. And it wasn't the first heart surgery. One minister came in and just told jokes, and it was almost like the comedy club, trying to cheer him up. And his basic response was, I don't want that. Another minister came in and asked how he was doing, what the plan was, what his needs were. 
and then read a scripture of comfort that led him to Jesus Christ and then prayed with him. He says, that's what I needed. I needed that word of comfort, for I know who I am. I can't break away from what I am and what I have. Now, we could read a lot of Ecclesiastes, a lot of other portions of the Scripture that speak to us of Uh, Well, Ecclesiastes 3, with a time for this, a time for that, a season for this, a season for that. But there is a time to mourn. A time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather stones together, and so on. There's a time for these things. And that's not just the Old Testament. Well, we did read part of that in the Old Testament from Ecclesiastes 7. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of the morning, of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Well, we come to the New Testament, and we'll get into this matter of Paul with Philippians. If there's anything about Philippians, what is it that you remember from Philippians? What word probably jumps out more often in the book of Philippians than other? And he says it, finally, brothers, be joyful in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And that's finally chapter 3. He still has chapter 4 to go. He does it once more. It's like a minister. I'm now in the last place, and then no, 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 no. Okay. And, uh, but Paul makes that emphasis, rejoice in the Lord. There is joy. But it's a joy in a context. It's a joy in the context of knowing that our sins are forgiven. It's a joy in the context of knowing that our sins are taken upon the cross. And so James in chapter 4, verses 5 and and following. In verse 9 he says, Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James is looking for a sober Christianity. But not a Christianity that is so sober that it's just gloomy. Because it's not gloomy. We have a Christianity that focuses upon the cross of Jesus Christ. We know the shortest verse in the Bible. In some ways I'm glad it's the shortest verse because it keeps reminding us of who Jesus was. He knew the power he had to bring Lazarus back from the dead, but yet he wept. He knew the power of sin. He knew what it was to mourn. 
Now, there are bad ways to mourn. Mourning when you get caught. Ancient Sparta had the young men punished who were caught stealing something. Not because they stole something, but because they were caught. They should be smarter than that. The Inquirer's Class book, Confessing Christ, has a great illustration. I don't know how many of you have gone through that book here, but it's on repentance. And you know the three parts of repentance, in some ways they overlap here what we're doing today. Knowledge of sin, knowing that we are sinners, sorrow for sin, and turning from sin. Those are the three parts of repentance. But in the sorrow for sin, there's a great illustration, and that's of a young girl who was out with her friends one evening, and before she had gone out, she told her mother she would be back by you know, 10, 10 o'clock, 10.30. And uh, 10 o'clock, 10.30 came around, and 11.30, 12 o'clock came around, and her mother was wide awake. She was sitting up waiting for her. And when the girl came in the door, where were you? And the girl broke down. Not because she was caught, because she says to her mother, I'm sorry, it hurt you. I'm sorry, I offended you. Had nothing to do with just me, me, me. It had to do with, and you put that in a different perspective, our sins against our God. Lord, I have offended you. Our prayers of this morning have been along those same lines. So what is it to mourn? You already know that it doesn't mean it's the only thing that Christians do. They also rejoice, but they are in a a steady state of knowing they're sinners, but a steady state of knowing they're redeemed. Almost like John Newton. You see that saying every, every so often, two things I know, I'm a great sinner, God's, Christ is a great Savior. Two things, constantly. Blessed are those who mourn. In your prayer, do you spend time confessing your sin? Do you spend time confessing the fact that it is against God that you have sinned? Or it's against Christ that you have sinned? So mourning is not simply because we got caught or because of some other personal thing that affects us apart from our relationship to Jesus Christ. Nor is joy, a joy that is 
something that is simply some, something that affects us. It is because of what our Savior has done. So what is the blessing of this? What makes us happy? Who are the people that can be happy who mourn? Those who mourn will be comforted. They will be comforted. Immediately, well, that's where that future comes in. They will be comforted. They shall be comforted. How soon after? How soon after will that come? We read our Bibles and we talk about and we read about the coming of a Savior and the waiting for a Savior and the hope of the Savior that is to come. And then we come to Malachi and then there's 400 years and the Savior hasn't come. And so we finally come to Luke chapter 1 and here's Zechariah. He's doing his work in the temple and he's putting incense on the altar to bring prayers to God and he gets an answer. 400 years and he gets an answer. Your wife is going to be with child. And she explains that this child is going to be the forerunner of the Christ. You're going to see that day. And what does Zechariah do? I I don't believe it. So, nine more months of silence, until finally John is born, and then he speaks. And the blessing of, God, of that wonderful knowledge that our Savior has come. But notice the patience that is required in the Scripture. Notice the patience that is constantly emphasized. So, comfort doesn't always come immediately. And that does not to say that it doesn't sometimes come. We read the book of Daniel, and Daniel is praying for an answer to his prayer, and before the answer even is, his prayer is done, God has already sent a man over to tell him the good news. God has his ways. They will be comforted. They will be comforted. The word comfort here is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit. It's the same word, the paraclete. You've heard that word, perhaps you wondered what it meant. The paraclete, someone who is called alongside of us. The idea is to comfort, to stand with us, to encourage. In John 14, verse 16, Jesus says, I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter, another helper, another advocate, that he may be with you forever. And so Jesus Christ is doing this because he's told his disciples he's going to be leaving them. He's going to be leaving them alone, and yet not alone. He's going to come to them. I will come to you. Read this passage in John 14. It's beautiful. At the, at, toward the end of it, there's a, well, our choir sang it in college. I heard another high school choir sing it. In John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. 
Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And given the context of that peace, Jesus Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, is leaving the Godhead with us. He's leaving the Holy Spirit with us. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Love, joy, peace. But Jesus is that Prince of Peace. In the book of Job, his three friends trying to get across a certain point. Job, you did something. You did something, and that's the problem. And Job isn't going to listen to them. In the end, he repents, but it's not because of what they're saying, but because of what God is and who God is. And there's one point that he comes out and in, in verse, chapter 9. I like the King James here because that's where it first jumped out at me. If only there were a day's man between us, to arbitrate between us. If only there was a day's man betwixt us. A day's man is an arbitrator, is a lawyer. Job is saying, I wish I had a lawyer. I wish I had somebody to tell me that my, speak my case before God. And that God could hear my case and answer accordingly. Well, Job got what he asked for. Because in the end, Job does repent. God himself comes and shows him the glory of his creation. And how far short Job was really seeing God's work in his life. And Job repented. And we have that beautiful ending of Job receiving twice what he had before. Yes, you have a comforter. You who mourn your sins, you who are spiritually impoverished, you who are blessed by knowing the kingdom of heaven is yours and comfort is yours, but not because you've earned any of it, but because God gives it to you. God gives himself to you. He sends the comforter. The illustrations are plentiful. Carl Truman, all you have to do is see the words of the title of an of a essay he wrote. What can miserable Christians sing? I mean, there are a lot of songs that talk about happiness and joy and so on. And, of course, he's really emphasizing, we can go to the Psalms. What can miserable Christians sing? There are illustrations from visiting and nursing homes. That 
think of two elderly women that were in nursing homes for a good long time. They couldn't get up. They could not get out of bed unless helped. But every time I saw them, they were in bed. One of them almost brought tears to my eyes when I would, I would read a passage of Scripture to her. And all of a sudden, she couldn't speak well at all, but I could hear her kind of grunting words that sounded exactly what I was reading, or almost before I read them. And I knew she had these words committed to heart. She could lay there all these years. Her son wondered, why is she here all these years? I don't see the point of it. Well, that was one point of it. God's word holds us, comforts us. It comforted her. And she was a witness to me. She was a witness to others around her. Of how, the God used her, how God used her in his love. Another lady was elderly in a nursing home, and visiting her, she simply said, I don't know what I'm doing here, what use I am at all. I mean, no doubt she was very able and very, very talented, and suddenly she can't do a thing. Now, there was an answer to that. I thank God that the answer was there. The answer was very simple. I said to her, look at the testimony you're giving. God is with you here. Even under these so-called empty times, it's not empty. You have the blessing of his presence. You have the blessing of his joy, and you know it because you testify to that. Even when I visit you here, you talk about it. Well, it's not empty. Again, two examples of patience as well. But thinking of the passage before us today, the comfort that would come, it's mentioned in the Isaiah passage, but not the Luke 4 passage, where Jesus goes to his hometown in Nazareth, on the Sabbath day, and he's in the synagogue, and he asks for the scroll, and he opens a scroll, and he reads from Isaiah chapter 61. Now, the Luke passage doesn't mention this specific item, but Isaiah 61 does mention it. He says, to comfort all who mourn. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and so on. What a blessing for the people in Nazareth to hear this from the Savior, who grew up in their town. We know the rest of the story from Luke chapter 4. 
as they started to discuss the matter as to who this person was that's saying these things, they finally drove him out to the edge of a hill, ready to throw him off, and Jesus walks right through. But Jesus is the one who brings that spirit of the Lord. In one sense, the, 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 the Beatitudes are a picture of the Jubilee, the happiness, the fullness of God's work on a people that desperately need God's work. So what's the purpose of it? That we might put our faith in Jesus Christ. He comforts us. And what a wonderful thing that God comes to talk to us, to talk to his people after they've sinned against him. That Adam and Eve, when they hear hear God coming in the garden after they have sinned against him, and it's there, they, they cover themselves, they hide, they try to get away. God won't let them. And what we could say today is, God won't let you. He hasn't let you. He hasn't let me. We grew, we grow up in a church where the gospel is presented, where the kingdom of heaven is in our destiny. Yes, the picture of the Beatitudes and the the way we are described in the Beatitudes may not necessarily be the picture of a Hollywood movie, Happy Ever After. Not in this world. We are happy ever after. For ours is the kingdom of heaven. And even before then, we're comforted with God's presence daily with us. Amen. Let's turn to our God in a time of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your goodness to us, for the blessing of salvation that is through Christ alone the blessing of knowing that we have one who is truly a comforter, not as the world gives, but as you alone, our God, can give. You've given yourself. You've given your Son. You've given your Holy Spirit that we might be comforted that our sins might be forgiven once for all, that we may be reminded of that, we may may be sanctified, that we may grow more and more. And our Father, even as we grow more and more, as we grow more and more in, in our walk before you, that growth also includes a greater sense of where we've gone wrong. And so, Lord, we come back daily before you with repentance. 
knowing that you respond with comfort. Grant your blessing to this church. Grant your blessing to the message that is brought from this church. Bless, Lord, the Chinese worship as well and the outreach to the Chinese community as well as the other community in Madison. We thank you, our Father, for having that kind of a position to be able to reach out to those who are learning and studying. And we pray your blessing upon this church, its elders. And we pray that you would continue to strengthen them. And we pray also, Lord, your blessing upon this church as they have opportunity to call another pastor. We thank you, Lord, for the pastors you have had and have brought to us here who have led us and have counseled us and who have prayed for us. We pray, Lord, with gratitude for the blessing of the postman's coming. We pray, Lord, that this may all turn well. That if it be your will, they might come not only to visit, but also to hear a call. We pray for those who are on vacation. We pray for the Hawk Hammers. We pray for others who are away. We pray for those who are sick and and suffering. We pray for your care for them. We do pray for Shannon's recovery, the Cullies. We pray with gratitude, Lord, for the blessing of this building. We pray, Lord, gratitude for the relationship we have with the Chinese church. We thank you for watching over Joseph this past week, and we pray you'd give him whatever is necessary for the further exams. You with Pastor Tree as well as he has been able to go to the to California this past week to be with relatives. Comfort him in this time. We pray for Abby Engel traveling back from Texas. We pray, Lord, that it'll be a, our Sunday school will be a time that would be a time for discipleship, fellowship, blessing for us as we attend. We thank you for the radio stations that proclaim your word, the many homes that are able to receive it. We pray also, Lord, for Anita. We thank you that she was able to go through this past chemo treatment. We pray, Lord, that you would continue to give her healing. We pray that this treatments may do what you have intended them to do. Our Father, we look to you for your help and strength, and we pray for Judy as well, experiencing another health episode. Be with Philip and Rose Sheehan. We thank you, Lord, for the blessing they are to Providence. We pray for their continued growth and grace. Our Father, we pray for the session as it meets this coming Tuesday. Father, we look to you with gratitude then. We acknowledge our sins before you. And as we bring our tithes and offerings before you, we pray that you would strengthen us and encourage us. Help us, Lord, to give praise to you in all things. We ask now that you would hear our prayers as we bring them in Jesus' name. Amen.